2: And welcome back to the Cover 3 podcast here on CBS Sports. It is late night Saturday. That's why you're here. That's why you're signing up. That's why you subscribe to the Cover 3 podcast for these instant reaction shows. Barton Simmons is in Stanford, Connecticut, CBS Sports HQ headquarters. He has been grinding to provide that digital video content that everyone loves and watches on CBS Sports HQ all through the day. We had a big SEC on CBS doubleheader, so you know it was a big deal. Uh, Tom Frenelli, he had to live blog, Georgia-Notre Dame. He had to live blog, Wisconsin-Michigan. Games we will all be getting to in a little bit. And, uh, and, and I'm just here at the Palatial Patterson Studios. I had Texas A&M-Auburn on my plate, but got to spend the day really bouncing around and taking a lot of notes. So... Uh, I enjoyed uh, I enjoyed my week four Saturday, even though our picks have gone poorly. So, gentlemen, how's our general feeling as we're sitting here twelve forty two a m. on the East Coast with uh, with the last few games of the day still still going on?
0: Tom, I hate the world. <laughs> I'm starting to think football should be illegal and that gambling anybody who gambles should be in prison. That's how I feel. How about you guys?
1: <laughs> uh yeah I, it's been it's been tough to see you go through this dark stretch tom i just want you to know that we're here for you you're gonna rise out of this and you'll be better for it this is you know there are what's the say what's the, what to save and say don't uh don't waste, waste a loss don't waste a loss yeah. don't waste a loss tom don't waste oh a
0: loss. i've got many losses to spare i can waste a few
2: I I do love the fact that uh, uh, of course you can follow us um, at Barton Simmons at Tom Fernelli at Chip Underscore Patterson. You know as as the day has gone on, we start to we start to catch the the commentary. You know whether it's from uh, from Jake, you know whether it's from Evan. It seems like everybody's jumping in. They know the the reaction pod's about to be taped, and it feels like everyone just wants to check in and just. Just make sure that Tom's okay because just like how Barton wanted to be on the bachelor party with a few drinks in him and, and put his arm around him and tell him that Bowling Green isn't where you wanted to be saddled up. Bowling Green was not where you wanted to be saddled up here on Saturday.
0: Yeah, but at least I've got UCLA going right now down 18 <laughs> in the third quarter after jumping out to a 7 to nothing lead.
2: Was it a 28-point second quarter for Washington State?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Great. You know, it's it's my place to try to save you from a bad decision. But once you married <laughs> those picks, I just have to support you. you know, go Bruins. Go Bruins.
0: Next week, I am taking nothing but Conference USA and Mountain West Unders. That's it.
1: <laughs> that's
2: horrible. That's a, that's a very bad principle. That is not going to A graded from
0: me. It's, it's, I got to I got to do something.
1: Let's dig in. We got, we got some big, we got a lot of, we got a lot of mileage to, uh, to, to, to track. I mean, as much as I'd like to talk about Bowling cream on, <laughs> on a day of top 25 showdowns. Game uh, of the day. <laughs> I'm sure. That's what everyone wants to hear.
2: Hey, our under three wins is still looking great after Kent state uh, took care no of business. Doubt about that. All right. Yeah. So let's, all right, we, we will start at um, the, we will start at the evening's primetime event and I'll, do you between Georgia and Notre Dame which team do y'all and I guess Barton first which team do y'all feel more differently about in a in a significant way or the answer might be none but i think that there's there's probably uh i went in thinking that this was going to be uh tell us a lot about Georgia i felt like i'd figured out Notre Dame and i think it's a it's worth Uh, conversating on whether we feel differently or the same about both these teams. So Barton, how are you, how are you looking at these teams moving forward now that Georgia uh, down early sort of takes control of the game, but then, you know, Notre Dame's able to creep back in it. Georgia holds on for the win. Uh, How are you looking at these two teams moving forward?
1: Well, because this was such a huge game, so high profile so much buildup this was I, I swear because I was sitting there on set today that uh, there was that uh, the CBS HQ house and we had uh, we were very uh, had a strong presence in Athens and and we were kicking it to them and I was hearing all the talk and obvi- obviously all the build up and so uh, I, I was right there front road to hear everyone talk about how this is the biggest game in the history of Georgia football this is an unbelievable atmosphere I mean there's just this was hyped. And because it was so hype, there was a lot of time where we were forced and asked to double down on our opinions and everyone's opinion, almost universally in this game was that Georgia just had way too much talent. That Notre Dame was going to be lucky to keep it within 17. I mean, the line was climbing from 13 and a half to 14, 14 and a half to 15. I think by kick it was like 16. Yep. And so uh, there was this steady group think, and I, I'm, I'm not excluding myself from this. I mean, I, I was in it um, that, man, this is just, uh, we, I hope we get an entertaining game because Notre Dame's probably not going to keep it close. So that's my preamble to the answer to your question, which is absolutely Notre Dame is, is where my opinion changed the most. Uh, I mean, credit Georgia, uh, and and certainly there were some breaks that Notre Dame caught, but there were some breaks that Georgia caught too. Um, but Notre Dame it looks much more equipped to play with this top tier in college football than I thought they were. Um, and I I still think Georgia is on that top tier. I'm going to need to see another game where they you know where where they. You know, maybe maybe Auburn is their next chance. Uh, I mean, I'm sure there's one before it. I'm not looking at their schedule, but uh, I'm going to need to see another time when they come up when they don't dominate a team I thought they would before I take them out of that top tier. Because I think Notre Dame just might just be that good. I mean, they Notre Dame was a lot more athletic, a lot more physically equipped to match up with Georgia than I expected. And and to me, it's a that's a positive Notre Dame takeaway more so than a negative Georgia takeaway.
0: Yeah, I'll I'll agree. I was. More impressed with Notre Dame than I thought I was going to be. But as far as the level of talent and the talent difference between these two teams, I think what surprised me more than anything was Notre Dame's defense. Because for a lot of that first half, you know, like Georgia's offensive line, we've we've talked about it plenty. Lots of people have talked about it. Everybody knows. But, like, they were struggling with that Notre Dame front in the first half, and it's not something that I've been used to seeing from Georgia's offensive line. It's usually had its way with just about everybody, you know, say, for Alabama. So that was really impressive to see for Notre Dame, but where I still think that the Irish come up short is on the other side of the ball because they just... Notre Dame doesn't have that game breaker at a skill position. You know, like like George has got DeAndre Swift. It's got Lawrence Cager. It has guys like that. And while Notre Dame has, you know, Cole Komet, who had a huge game, he had nine catches, hundred eight yards, touchdown, and, and Chase Claypool is a big target at receiver, they don't have the home run threat. You know, they they don't have uh, Will like Fuller. Fuller yeah yeah they don't ha- th- you know they don't even have it in the running game I mean Tony Jones had 21 yards and nine carries and he led the team in rushing. Well,
1: they they, they need J- Jafar Armstrong to be yeah. helped and and I don't know that he's that guy you're talking about either uh, but it didn't hurt that he wasn't in there because I, I think Tony Jones he's capable but he he's not close to that
0: yeah and I think that limits them especially in a game like this where You know, I mean, they're they're clearly good enough to hang. They just showed us. They went on the road to Athens, and they, you know, they had a chance to win the game at the end. But even like a Dexter Williams, somebody who can just break a run and pick up chunk yardage, they just don't have it. And I think that's what's going to be the thing that they're still really good. I still think they're a tier below, though, because they don't have that guy. And I think that if you're going to get to the playoff and have a chance of winning two games against you know, two of the top four teams in the country. If you don't have that dude, it's really hard to do it. Your defense can play well, which it did, it and keep you in the game, which it did. But at some point somebody's got to make a big plan offense to tilt the things in your favor. And in the second half, like you could just see that Georgia's defense had kind of figured some things out and they were just kind of slowly leaning on them on offense. And they they made it Notre Dame rallied in the fourth quarter, but by then it was just a little bit too late.
2: I'm not taking Georgia off the top tier, but I'm definitely Uh, changing my approach for the locks and for my general game prediction and game projections uh, as we have to move forward in terms of the way this team wins and and the way that this team's going to go up against teams because if they're going to rely on that Physical advantage and on wearing teams down, figuring things out, making adjustments in the second half. There's not going to be a lot of games I think where Georgia's going to be blowing teams out, and especially as the the distance with talent and with athleticism and, and physicality continues to shrink against the best teams in the SEC. Like that's that's where I'm taking a step back, and and you know, it it's just that Georgia is going to be in a lot of these close games. And I think Kirby Smart feels comfortable with that. Like, Did did y'all make anything out of the decision to kick a field goal instead of go for it on fourth down?
0: I didn't like it. I mean, I understood it because you're taking it from a 10-point game to a 13-point game, which changes it to, you know, Notre Dame needs two touchdowns, but the same time the second half they were you know getting pretty much anything they wanted on the ground you've, you've got DeAndre Swift it's, and it was fourth and one but it was really like more like fourth and a foot it was not right. a long one yard you you're Georgia you should be able to get that yard and you know maybe you don't get a touchdown out of it maybe you still have to settle for a field goal but at least you're taking another two minutes off the clock before you get there so I I always lean more towards the side of aggression like when you've got a chance to put a team away and you're playing a team as good as Notre Dame don't don't let them you know don't let them stay alive a little longer don't take your ease up your foot on the throat. you just end the game and by kicking the field goal yeah you increased it to a two touchdown lead but you're still letting Notre Dame breathe and we saw Notre Dame rallied after that it's like yeah, but
1: they, but they rallied and and it ultimately I think that was the right decision i mean if they rallied and that last drive they had to score a touchdown that last drive, they couldn't just get a field goal uh, to tie the game, and so I don't know. I thought it, I, I, I'm okay. Oh yeah, I'm not. I, I don't.
0: I don't think it's a horrible decision or anything. Like I said, I get it. It's just had they gotten that first down and they gone to score, you're never in that position to begin with at the end of the game.
1: So I want to. I want to go back to something that Chip said though, because you acted like Chip. You're, you know, y- you're kind of reluctantly keeping them in that top tier or you're sort of you're a little suspicious. You're like side-eyed of them in that top tier. But is it just, is it just that's the way they play and that's the way they win? Because I think when like, we walked away from that LSU, Texas game and we're like, Whoa, look at this LSU team. And granted that was a part of the partly because we're just seeing a different type of LSU team. But I mean, is, is Notre Dame, uh, not like, is Notre Dame worse than Texas? I mean, is, is Notre Dame a less respectable win than uh, Texas? I mean, I know one's on the road, one's at home, but... Um, no, it has
2: I, entirely to do with the style. And, and I, I don't mean to dismiss them in terms of their ability to contend or compete or if they get to the college football playoff to be able to potentially win a national championship. But I, as just sort of a matter of principle if you're just always going to be playing in these, uh, if you're just going to play with this style, because I, I link it together with the national championship against Alabama, 13 to nothing at halftime, right? Or the the first game against Notre Dame. And I understand that was a freshman quarterback and Jake from first start on the road. You, you've got reasons to sort of, you know, not not play conservatively, but at least just sort of get yourself into one of these kind of ball games. Because when Notre Dame went up, there was no panic. So that's the other side of it, is that you do instill this general confidence of, like, these are the games that we want to play. And I th- I think that because of that, I, I introduced it with the addition of, you know, as it pertains to locks moving forward. I just, I think if you... You show me this game and you put me in another situation where it's a Kirby Smart Coach Georgia team in a in a high-profile, hyped-up, big game against a good competitive team. I feel like I'm going to be taking the underdog and the under all day. I don't think I'll be laying 14 and a half with the Bulldogs again.
1: Yeah, I, I, I get that. That That's fair. Um,
2: and it yeah, also means you could lose. If you're always going to be in these tight games, yeah. it's a weird sport. With an oblong shaped ball, if you if that's sort of your nature of winning and the kind of games that you win, there might be a game where you don't catch a good break.
0: Yeah, I, I mean that's that's my major concern with it is that when you play that style, you have a you have a much smaller margin of error. You can't afford to like if you're playing like Alabama and you're an explosive offense that could score at the drop of a hat against pretty much anybody in the country. You can afford to make a mistake because you got you can make it up really quickly. If you're Georgia and you play that same kind of offense, I mean, it's not all that dissimilar to what we would critique LSU for in recent years and what we've been critiquing Michigan for. It's that if you play too slowly or too, I don't even want to say conservatively, because it's, it's it's bully ball. It's not really conservative. It's just, you know, you're not really in a rush and it's not as high you know flying as we see a lot of offenses. But you run into a team with as much talent as you have or more talent than you have, then it decreases your margin of error. And if you're going to win a national title... Not only are you going to have to beat Alabama in the SEC title game, but then you're going to have to beat a top 4 team in a semi and then you're going to have to beat like Clemson or Alabama again in the title game. So it's it's not it's it's really difficult to win those kind of games playing that kind of style. I mean, there's a reason even Alabama changed.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I, I, I don't disagree with you guys. Um uh, and I, and I think the one thing with Georgia is like are they and when Alabama was winning with that style, their their defensive line and their defensive front seven was just uh, obscene. And I think that's what I'm – as much as anything with Georgia, I want to see over the course of the season that defense become a, a, like a really scary unit. And they were good tonight. And they – I mean, you never, I never have much faith that Notre Dame was going to move the ball, you know, just like consistently – whenever they wanted but i i think to win with that style you got to sort of uh, make every every possession just an absolute war
2: the uh first of the doubleheader was auburn's win at texas a&m it was a game where like uh you just kind of looked up and all of a sudden the tigers were up 14 to nothing on uh So defensive communication bust leads to a 57 yard touchdown on a reverse by Anthony Schwartz at the very beginning of the game. Then all of a sudden uh, they've, we've got some Texas A&M mistakes uh, then Auburn's up real quick. Auburn marches back in this game. Uh, the Auburn defense, I thought, did a tremendous job of really making life difficult on Kellen Mond, and they just seem to get like just enough out of their ground game to be able to hold on. It's not a very impressive stat line when you look at it for Bo Nix, uh, though he's certainly getting... Uh, he, he gets a lot of the, the commentary around this Auburn team because of his own connections to Auburn. But man, like, is there is there any way to feel I don't come out of the Auburn win at Texas A&M feeling as good as that looks on paper to say Auburn went into college station. As a four-point underdog, and came out with a straight-up win where they led the entire way. Like if that on paper as a statement seems like it's like, wow, we're we're feeling really differently about Auburn. And I don't come out of that game feeling at all differently about Auburn. I mean, I just it's. Did both y'all have Texas A&M on the locks? Is this a lock agreement? Yeah. All right. Who wants the first piece of it? Tom, you want to grab it?
0: Yeah, I'll go. I I mean. I think the best way to sum up Auburn is this is a team now that is 4-0 and it's got two wins against top 20, even maybe top 15 team. You know, Texas A&M was 15, Oregon's going to be ranked highly after beating Stanford on Saturday. So these are two huge wins, two of the better wins in the country so far. And yeah, I'm not super confident yeah. about Auburn. Yeah, they're away from home too. The, the yeah. resume like and the they- profile looks awesome. They beat a they beat a good Oregon team in a neutral site, and they beat Texas A&M on the road. But there's nothing about them that's like I mean, well, there is their defense is their defense. That's what you know. That's what they're built on. That's what they do really well. But this is, they still they had 299 yards of offense in this game. They averaged 4.7 yards per play. It's not as if they were putting on an offensive clinic. And Bo Nix is like very entertaining to watch in that he's doesn't have if you look at his numbers at the end of the game they're never impressive but he always kind of has a knack for making a play when a play is needed like on third and six he scrambles and gets that first down and then again you know he misses two passes and puts him in third and long again but then he makes the play to get him a first down so there there's a lot of frustration with this team watching it but I mean, it's that Auburn Jesus, man. What are we? <laughs> what are you supposed to do? They keep winning. It's like maybe we're the idiots. Maybe they're doing exactly what you're supposed to.
1: See, I, I'm I actually am on the other side of this from y'all. I I, I mean, clearly, th- this was by far the game that I misread the most this weekend, and and that I mean, Auburn went out there. And I, I think I maybe expected more out of Texas A&M, but more so than that, I, I was just very impressed with Auburn. They were – I I sort of – I knew how good their defensive line was, but I just decided not to factor that in as much as I should have because that defensive line was sick. I mean, they were – I mean, I think Texas A&M rushed for, what, 50 yards? And Kellen Mine was, was uh, disrupted and – um, I mean, just all game. He, you know, he never, he ne- there was never a throw. It seemed like where he was just sort of uh, easy sailing in the pocket. Um, their their offense is, I mean, it's it's Gus Malzahn. I like, guess finally a Gus Malzahn offense, and I know and Bo Nix. I, I mean, I res- I have a lot of respect for his game because he's not really a passing threat, but their. Their run game was so good, so physical, that he's he operates the offense really effectively. And so, I'm not saying that I think Auburn is some legitimate West threat. I'm not saying I put them on the tier of Georgia, LSU, and Alabama. I'm just saying this is this is not a fun team to play. No. this is this is a team. It's not. a it's not a re- super fun team to watch either, uh, but they, I respect it though. I mean, they get it done, and they 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 kind of beat the hell out of you while they're doing it. Oh, they've got yeah. so
2: many H backs and fullbacks that are just floating out to the flat, ready to be the third option on an RPO, and just get yep. you six yards on second down. Like it's it is so much. There's so much ground is covered by all the motions uh, that is not covered directly north to south maybe that's my ultimate uh hang
0: up with it i do like how they utilize whitlow as a battering ram in the fourth quarter yeah because it's like you're already tired and they're like all right tackle this guy 15 times
2: (laughs) it works i mean no no even real attempt to make that passing game seem threatening at all
0: Yeah. yeah We've seen Auburn offenses work like that before. I mean, when Nick Williams was running it, it wasn't all that different.
1: Uh, what was his name? Was Nick Williams? Nick Marshall. Nick, Nick Marshall. Marshall I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, and and uh, and that's I think that's what's encouraging about this Auburn team is they're doing it. Like, and even Gus Malzahn, like the gimmick plays are working. You know the. The Anthony Schwartz end around the and 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 bubble screens are 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 popping them off for big gains and just the the stuff. I, I just I think and hey, is is Gus Malzahn like? Did that win secure his job for next year? No,
0: we still gonna mess around with this thing. Let's see what happens next week. No, no, no. I don't, no, I don't I think, even know who they're playing.
2: No, but. next <laughs> week's Mississippi State. They should have that. It's the Florida game that I think is the pivot point.
0: I mean, it's it's Auburn, you know. Gus Malzahn's job status varies from day to day.
2: But I think that's a good question because I I looked at this as for both of these head coaches, Jimbo Fisher is not facing the kind of uh, pressure in terms of change of employment that Gus Malzahn is. But Texas A and M having just a ridiculously hard schedule where wins are going to be hard to come by. You just dropped a home game. That was a toss-up game when you were favored by more than a field goal. Like, yikes! This is a bad loss for Texas A&M in my eyes. And so, I guess the you know reciprocal of that would be, yeah, I th- I think that in the the Gus Malzahn's future at Auburn uh, picture and discussion, I bet that as he is on his way back home, he somewhere in his mind he's thinking to himself, this might have been the one that uh, that keeps me my job. Absolutely. So yeah, yeah, I will say Barton. I think that this is not the one that saved it, but man, I, I think that a lot of credit was earned uh, in terms of his ongoing negotiation with the uh, with the Auburn power brokers.
0: And hey, that Arkansas job might be coming open again soon. See, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> uh.
2: So what is it? The public schools in uh, Central or Northern California went two and zero against the SEC West today. Yes. Cal getting it done against Ole Miss and San Jose State against Arkansas.
0: Don't mess with the Bay Area. <laughs> that's where football's king. <laughs> um,
2: but not for Stanford.
0: <laughs> no.
2: Yeah, that's where things stop. All right. Well, no, let's, those are scholars. <laughs> uh, b- before we start to dig into to some of that fun, um, Wisconsin and Michigan, gentlemen. What's, uh, what do you, do you all subscribe to the theory that there are different conversations about Michigan because there's, as you know, we're recording this on Saturday night and there already are the, the colonization, the hot takery, the questions that we will be asked on multiple platforms across, uh, across the country. Over the next week, we'll deal with uh, the state of Michigan football in the era of Jim Harbaugh because there are damning statistics that suggest that when this Jim Harbaugh led Michigan program goes up against the best of the best, they fall short and like one in nine against uh, top 10 teams. Is that right?
0: Something like that. It's not good.
2: Um, so what... Because like the, the other part of that one is that Wisconsin is, oh my gosh, that team might be able to go challenge Ohio State. And I think that you do have to consider Wisconsin as probably the second best team in the Big Ten. But we all know the conversation is going to be about Michigan. How are you planning here on Saturday night to attack that Michigan question?
0: I, I think... Oh, you want
1: to go no, first? No, no, have at it. Get in there.
0: I think we need to start off by saying that without a doubt, Jim Harbaugh has raised the floor of the Michigan program from where it was when he took it over. But my God, does he keep hitting his head on the ceiling Mm. because this is, this is year five. And a lot of the same problems that we saw through the first four years are the same problems we're seeing in year five. And they haven't really been able to develop a quarterback properly. They haven't been, you know, it's, There's so every single problem that you've seen with this team the last few years is the same problem that they're facing now. They changed the offense trying to fix it, but it hasn't fixed it. And Shea Patterson just is completely rattled in the pocket. He's seeing, you know, fifteen pass rushers every time he gets the ball. Everywhere he looks, all he sees is the defensive, you know, about to hit him. He's running for his life. He's throwing off the back foot when he doesn't have to. He's missing open receivers. It's just bad. They don't have a run game. You know, Charbonnet barely played today. He was injured. There was questions about whether he's going to play. He got two carries in the game for six yards. They can't run. They can't pass. Nico Collins is great. It's just they never seem to give them the ball when the game is still, you know, in question. If there's still something in the outcome, this is just everything's messed up. And then to make matters worse, suddenly the defense is bad now, too, because the defense has been the one thing we were supposed to be able to rely on. Yes, Ohio State tore it apart, but against everybody else, for the most part, it's been really good. But now it's not getting torn apart by super fast Ohio State receivers. It was getting mauled by Wisconsin's offensive line, who was just shoving it out of the way and opening huge holes for Jonathan Taylor to just stroll through for 72 yard touchdowns. It was awful. I mean, Garrett Groschek averaged 10 yards a carry. Nothing against Groschek, but, you know, he's not exactly Jonathan Taylor. He's not a, you know, little burner. He's kind of a big, burly dude who doesn't exactly have high end speed. So every this was like a nightmare performance i feel like this is worse for michigan than the ohio state loss was the ohio state loss worse looks worse you know because of the score but ohio state's ohio state the fact that you know they're able to dominate them that's been nothing new this is a game that if we, michigan's even going to dream of beating ohio state it's got to win this game and it lost by 21 and the game was not that close and it was 28 to nothing at halftime. This game was pretty much over by the end of the first, four, the first quarter is what it felt like. And, I mean, they were out-coached. They were out. Coached. This was a team, they had a bye week to get ready for this yeah. game. A huge game. On yeah. a bye. Get everybody healthy. Get prepared. Get ready for this. And they looked completely unprepared. Jim
2: Harbaugh just, said that, that we got out-coached. Uh, he did. Afterwards. Very much.
1: Mm. I mean, yeah, bloody. That, I, yes. Like a. They, I mean, you can't, you cannot say anything other than that, right? <laughs> like, he doesn't even get. I don't even give him credit for saying that or admitting that because how could you even deny that you got? Like out him coach? saying,
0: "My name's Jim Harbaugh." Yeah, we knew. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. I, I think I still think with this Michigan team that this story and and this would be a story no matter what. I mean, to get to beat Michigan like that, but. I think the reason it's such a big deal is is because of the totally imbalanced expectations of, of this Michigan team preseason relative to what they should have been. Agree. And, and, and I mean, it was it was absurd. And I mean, I had I had Michigan media member to remain nameless like hit me up being like, "Hey, like the pod," but that's a that was a. That was that's a stupid take about him being zero and six against uh, underdogs and how that matters in this matchup. Don't you know that three of those underdog games they were playing, he had John O'Corn and uh, one of them was against a really good Utah team and yeah it's like whoa wait wait a minute Jim Harbaugh just isn't good at beating teams that are perceived as better than him because if a if a team is perceived as being better than a Jim Harbaugh team they're probably a lot better. Because Jim Harbaugh gets a lot of benefit of the doubt mm. from the media in terms of just just I mean how good we expect them to be. And maybe and I, I, I think Jim Harbaugh I'm not a Jim Harbaugh hater. I think Jim Harbaugh is a really good coach and he's been great for Michigan and he's he, he's not on he shouldn't be on the hot seat and all that stuff. But he's he's not A guy that's going to be contending for national championships every year. He's a guy that, hey, if you get on a, get a couple really good classes, you got a chance, and he's had a chance. There's been a couple years in the Jim Harbaugh. They came really close a few years ago. Yeah, just been a couple plays away. So that you, you're, you're, we're not never going to get that at Michigan with Jim Harbaugh, but you can't. You also can't, soup up their expectations because Jim Harbaugh is there. You just can't do it.
0: I I think. Go ahead. Summed up this entire game for me was on the very first drive of the game, Wisconsin was facing a fourth and one at midfield in their own territory. Went for it, picked up the first down. They would go for the fourth down on like two more times early in the game, get them all three times, and they used that to build their lead. Jim Harbaugh in the second half, trailing 28 to nothing on a fourth down at midfield, punted. And to me, that summed up. Everything about this game. Wisconsin came out ready to beat somebody's ass. Michigan came out and played scared. And it looked that way in the final score and in the box score.
1: And they have, they have no faith and no confidence in their quarterbacks. Well, no. I don't know. Or maybe their quarterbacks have no confidence in what's in front of them. There, there's something missing there at the quarterback position, though.
2: Um, yeah. Two notes. Number one, the year uh, was last year. When Michigan was number four in the country, number four in the playoff ranks, undefeated in conference play, all you got to do is beat Ohio State. You're going to the Big Ten Championship, and your only loss was the season opener on the road to an undefeated Notre Dame team in South Bend. That was that was it. You had a chance, and you lost 62-39. to 39. Uh, And then the second part of this is, again, I want to, at least before we move on, how good are the Wisconsin Badgers? They're winning
0: the West. I don't have any doubt. I, From what I've seen from all the teams in this division through the first month of the season, none of them at their best have played as well as Wisconsin has looked in every single game that it's played.
1: Yeah, I, I, I mean, Wisconsin, Like when I was watching that game, I, I don't know if you guys... Got this vibe at all, but Jack Cohn to me felt very um, Jake Fromish.
2: Mm-hmm. That's a good he, thing. That is a compliment.
1: And, yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Uh, like I, I'll put it to you this like this: like the the Wisconsin team two years ago is that the year that they were sort of were they undefeated at the end of the regular season? Yeah. Or, if you had inserted onto that team. Jake Fromm as your quarterback. I mean, I don't know. Like, I don't know what. Maybe, maybe nothing changes. But I think that 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 to me alters what they can accomplish in a big game. Um, and I think I don't know that. I'm not saying Jack Jack, Jack Cohn is Jake Fromm, but the way things seem to be moving slow for him, the way he's accurate but not over, over overwhelming. Uh and holy cow, UCLA. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, baby. Making a uh, this is fun right now. Let's go. Congratulations, Tom. I'm glad things are going well. Um but he's he's like uh, athletic enough. He's and, and that fourth and one where he threw the, the wheel route to Quintez Cephas mm-hmm. and just and there was pressure on him and he just looks like so comfortable making that throw. Um I don't know. That that's that's really encouraging to me. Not yeah. not that he's you know he, he, he's the horsepower in there, but man, the the internal body clock works for that guy.
0: Yeah, my, my favorite play that he made was in the second half, and it was when he he escaped pressure, saw lane you know up the middle and just took off for a 25-yard touchdown that pretty much just sealed the game. I mean, the game was pretty much over, but it was just it was the kind of play where Alex Hornibrook's not making that play. Alex Hornibrook was probably sitting in the pocket and getting sacked. Cone dodged the pass rusher, got away from him and then just took off running and you know he he outraced a couple Michigan defenders to the end zone. And it's just as far as passing He reminds me of Fromm and his decision making and his efficiency. He doesn't have the same arm as Jake Fromm, but I mean, he was 13 of 16 for 128 yards, no turnovers. They don't ask him to do much because, you know, you're Wisconsin. You can run for 360 yards like they did against Michigan today. But when they do put the ball in his hands and have him make a play, so far, to this point, he's made the play. He hasn't made any mistakes. He's just taken what the defense has given him, and that's all they need him to do, and it's working really, really well. And when you combine that with a defense that is getting back to its havoc ways, I mean, it forced another four turnovers today. And when Wisconsin had the bell for 41 minutes in this game, man... <laughs> It's just, they are the most, outside of Ohio State, they are by far and away the most complete team that I've seen in the Big Ten this year. And I, I feel very confident saying right now, as we record this on what day is today, the 22nd of September, it's Ohio State and Wisconsin and
1: Indianapolis. No doubt. Yeah. No doubt. That seems easy. I'll be shocked if it's not those two.
2: What to do when pit happens and more of our notes from the rest of week four, next So the, uh, the UCF undefeated train um, propaganda machine is shut down for the season here on September 22nd as uh, UCF falls for the first time in a regular season game since 2016 uh, to the Pitt Panthers. And Pitt gets it done with a little bit of trickeration at the end. Some sweet, sweet poetry after all the ridiculousness of last week with the decision to kick a field goal that was missed when you had the opportunity to go for it on fourth and short when you were down a touchdown. And Pat Narduzzi digging his heels in on all that only to see him go for it on fourth down inside the 10-yard line and score a touchdown that would uh, get the Panthers to a victory. This was a wildly entertaining game. 21-point swings both ways. Uh, You know, upset alert sirens were brought out. They were put back in the closet. They were brought out again. And, uh, And while I think that we are not looking you know, as as just to I guess continue the, the theme for some of the the questions at the beginning, like I'm I'm not looking at uh Pitt any differently. I mean this is just the kind of thing that a pit team will do. This is a pit team that took down an undefeated Miami team when Miami was number two in the country in 10 and zero. This is a, a pit program under Pat Narduzzi that handed Deshaun Watson and a Clemson team, a, a loss. And that was in death Valley. And all these games are weird and all of them are different, but it is a loss for UCF that will stretch in terms of its significance because Uh, It ends the conversation, in my opinion, and I could be wrong, and you need a lot of help. We've got a lot of games left to play, but it, it removes them from a conversation as one of the best teams in the country. At the end of the season, there is a selection committee that is tasked with putting the four best teams in the country into the college football playoff. UCF has been trying to make an argument as one of the best teams in the country now for the last several seasons. They take a loss here and that's going to hurt them as they go on into the American Athletic Conference schedule. They looked good against Stanford. They take this loss against Pitt. The results are what they are. Is this like how how do you look at UCF now and and continue to move them forward? Like is is this a UCF team that Uh, because of this loss is even in jeopardy. You've given up that spot in the new year six as the top ranked group of five program.
0: I think so. I mean, I think that if that last part is the big takeaway for me, because I think, I mean, yeah, they lost on the road, their freshman quarterbacks, first road start. And, you know, they, they came back, they took the lead and then they lost. But for me, the bigger takeaway is that new year six spot, because I don't think that UCF's ever getting to the playoff anyway, especially if Stanford is not being you know, our typical Stanford. If, the, if Stanford was a team that's going 10-2 and two or 11-1 and one and UCF beats them, okay, now they've got a real argument. But with Stanford being what it is, it was never realistic. I think that the New Year's Six Bowl is very much in question because if you look at UCF losing this game at Pitt, and then you just look at Houston, which already has three losses as it is, and then you compare that to the Mountain West, too, with that San Jose State win over Arkansas, I think now has eight wins over the Power Five this year. I mean, it's. I'm have to. I'm starting to think that, in, you know, unless things get crazy, the New Year's Six spot's going to go to a Mountain West team now that UCF has lost to Pitt.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, 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 to me, the more interesting part of that game was, was Pitt than UCF. I mean, it, it was a good game. That was a fun game. Um, but the fact that just Pitt kind of came alive and found a way to win that, what Mark Whipple, at offensive coordinator, has brought to that unit, I mean, it kind of puts a little bit of, adds a little context to that Penn State game last week that they lost and and another game where they threw for like 370 yards. And uh, so, I mean, UCF is still a really good team, and, and I think that, The nature of that game made me think that both those teams are pretty good. And this was always, I think, going to be the tougher matchup for for UCF than Stanford at home. Going on the road to Pittsburgh uh, one week after Stanford. Now let's see what they can do after this. I mean, they still have Temple in a couple weeks, and I think they have Cincinnati on the road. I don't know their schedule in front of me, but they've got two more tough AAC road games coming up here soon. That uh, I think really more defines if UCF deserves that uh, top of the group of five title.
0: What's really interesting to me, too, is I want to see when the AP poll comes out on Sunday morning how the voters treat UCF for losing by a point on the road at Pitt compared to how they treat Michigan for getting crushed by 21 by Wisconsin. Mm.
1: Michigan has no bit. I mean, will, will people still have Michigan in the top 25, you think? Oh, yeah. I bet you. I
0: bet you plenty yeah. do, yeah. That's, that'd be Whereas crazy. I would I would guess if UCF is ranked higher than twenty third I'll be shocked.
2: I've got uh, on my projection I've got UCF at twenty three Michigan at twenty two. Those could change with Arizona State in jeopardy and Washington State is Washington State in jeopardy or just the cover in jeopardy? No, they're
1: in jeopardy. They're in jeopardy, they're, jeopardy they're, buddy. There's all kinds of mo. In uh, in in Tom Fernelli's bride, you don't UCLA. just let
0: UCLA walk into your house thinking you're going to get a win.
2: <laughs> <laughs> They're going to sneak Gardner out there. You're you're never going to recognize it except for the jorts. Um, okay, interesting. So, I I felt like I took that pit win and I filed it away with just like weird things that this program and this even Pat Narduzzi program has done in terms of uh, just sort of having crazy variants, being all over the place, capable of beating even Penn State. You know, we saw that. A Pittsburgh team wins against Penn State and that Penn State team goes on to win the Big Ten. Like, I I filed it more away there. Like, Pitt's, of course, going to be a problem for the ACC Coastal, but the ACC Coastal, especially in 2019, is not going to be... Uh, a daunting enough division where any team outside of Georgia tech should ever feel like they are being outmatched at any time. So I'm, I, I think that it, it you're right with the compliments for for Mark Whipple and like Kenny Pickett continues to develop he was thrust into action early and he's continuing to get more comfortable and he was the veteran quarterback at a time when Dylan Gabriel against that Pittsburgh defense was a little bit lost and a little bit panicky couldn't really figure things out there for the first quarter so so yes there there's plenty of compliments for Pitt I was uh I was I was probably. I, I might have gone a little heavy on the on the UCF. Maybe I catch too much uh, UCF propaganda. I shouldn't be celebrating the uh, the UCF propaganda machine having to be shut down for the the rest of the year. Uh, Barton, where do you want to go next?
1: I, I, you know what I I really think I mean there's a lot still to cover and I I don't want to pass that up but I think before we get too deep in there we got to get back to Friday night. Hmm. Uh. Utah, USC, Matt Fink, and Matt Fink, and just you you mean the kind of the continued reemergence of the Trojans. I I mean, I thought that was just another really impressive performance by USC. Um, I first of all, it's back to, I mean, obviously now this team is capable of, of playing with anyone. I think. This team is, is I don't know what to, what, I mean, this is a good football team, right? I mean, I guess that's what it boils down to. This is a good football team. And, and one of the things, that my, my, like my biggest takeaway from that game as I watched it was sort of this reminder that, yes, this team has underachieved. And yes, their players haven't developed. And yes, they've gotten beat up in the trenches the last few years. But what this team reminded me, and particularly reminded me on Friday night, is that not only does USC have talent, this is not some fake talent Butch Jones kind of team. They also have, I think, football character. Like I think that Talanoa Talano Hufunga is a competitive-ass dude. I think that Marlon Tui Pelotu is a competitive, prideful dude. I think Michael Pittman is an absolute dog. I think like, you go across the board, and the guys on that roster are guys that you, you can build a really good team around. And I think their coaches, frankly, have been letting them down. And I think Graham Harrell's given them a chance here. And now we're seeing them really catch traction a little bit. I still, you know, after that game, I still see Clay Helton – walking around with sort of his mouth half open and sort of a blank stare on his face. And I kind of think like, man, is this, is this really the face of the USC program? I just, it doesn't, it doesn't catch for me. So I, you know, it still feels like urban Myers is, is needs to be the head coach or something. But as far as the <laughs> players, I, I'm really encouraged by what they've did, what they what they put on film this year.
0: I think my biggest takeaway, first of all, I talked to a I was talking to a Utah fan on Twitter about this whose name I cannot remember and I feel like a jerk now, but before the game, and he was telling me he was worried because while well, Utah's defense is good, he says they always struggle against air raid teams. And that that seemed to be a problem on Friday night. But the other my other takeaway is that the, the one of the nice things about the air raid offense is that you could sub in a quarterback and he could do well in it because man Matt Fink was throwing some lollipops
1: and yeah. getting away with it. Yeah. But yeah, let's yeah, let's not start crowning Matt Fink as the next NFL uh first round darling or something.
0: Yeah, it's I mean USC's talented, man. It's you know, you get the talent, and you go up against Utah, you get a home game on a Friday night and again, Pac-12 Stop giving your good teams road games on Friday nights on short weeks because this is it. This happened to USC a few years ago. I think it happened to Washington last year. I think a couple somebody else. Like every single year, it feels like the Pac-12's top-ranked team is going on the road on a Friday night and losing. It's not productive for your playoff hopes.
2: Was Utah ever a playoff contender?
1: Yeah, I mean, are you just saying like were they? Did we ever really believe they had a chance? Is that what right. you're saying? Yeah, I I, I did only because. I didn't think. I mean, I thought they could get to the playoffs and get get smoked. But I I thought they could be the Michigan State of this year's playoff. (laughs) Right. I I I could see them surviving the Pac-12 because I didn't see a whole lot else in the Pac-12 that that got me uh, super scared. But but no, I didn't ever think they were a top four team. Much you know, even probably a top eight team. But could get in the playoffs. Uh, I, I I believe that was it's realistically possible
2: so with the with usc uh lining up at the same time as oregon stanford is usc the best team in the pac-12
0: i don't think the gap is that large no if they're not the best team they could be But if it's Oregon, I don't think Oregon's that much better than USC. If it's Washington, I don't think Washington's that much better than USC. If it's Wazoo, and based on the way Wazoo is hemorrhaging points against UCLA, I don't think it's Wazoo. But the gap between them is not that big. I think that this is a team that, when things are going well, has a high ceiling. But, you know, they're also on their third string quarterback. So let's see how that looks going forward.
2: And we think we might get Keenan Slovis back. Like it, it was an undiagnosed or undisclosed injury last time I checked, but watching the game live, it seemed like he took a hard hit and they were just trying to, uh, you know, be careful about it. Right.
0: Yeah. I mean, it could have just been, a, it, I think it might've been a sternum injury of some type the way he got landed on.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. it's Yeah. That if, yeah, if it was a sternum, it could be, could be a while, but I, I don't know. Uh, and and I, I will say, I mean, Washington inspired a little more confidence against BYU this week. Yeah, they Man, that was really like, good. That was, yeah, that was fun to watch. That's that was that's the Washington way I like to see.
0: It just makes they, that four AM loss to Cal all the more frustrating.
1: No doubt, but maybe maybe we can excuse that because just weird circumstances, sleepy stadium, they they just. We didn't, weren't mentally tough enough and, and let Cal hang around. But, I mean, the, Washington does have firepower, uh, and and they showed that off against BYU.
2: Um, that, I think, is a Chris Peterson trait. Didn't we catch that with Washington against, like, Utah a couple years ago where they were they won all their other Pac-12 games, but there was, like, a 15-13 game against Utah? I think it was Arizona State. Oh, that's it. That's a hundred percent it.
0: So yeah, this is where they lost like twelve to seven or something.
2: Yeah unreal they just because washington does um a really really good job and this was definitely on display against byu but like you make one mistake you turn the ball over and they're just they're turning it into points right away and they're coming up with big plays in the special teams and getting punt returns and and then all of a sudden it's just a a big snowball effect where everything opens up but like the way you beat washington is you've just got to You've just got to get them down and dirty. You've just got to get them into one of these rock fights and you can't make any mistakes because that seems to be the thing that where everything opens up because BYU was in this game for a half and then in the second half, it just all just took off and got out of control.
0: Jacob Eason balled out in this game, dude.
2: <laughs> this yeah. was like
0: this was this was flashbacks to that first game again of the year, was I think it was against Eastern Washington, but he was twenty-four or twenty-eight for two hundred and ninety yards, three touchdowns. It's just, yeah, he was getting anything he wanted.
1: I mean, I want that good Jacob Easton is fun, Jacob Eason. Yes. Like let's get as much of that as we can because that 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 is just freaking fun to watch. Just that guy throwing the ball is a beautiful thing when he's got some receivers that can go get it and, and make some plays on it. That, that was – uh, yeah, the flashes of that game I saw were entertaining.
2: Florida with Kyle Trask, is that a trustworthy uh, object?
1: I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't know how much you can learn from that game. I, I mean, granted, look, I didn't watch much of the second half. I did watch a good, good bit of the first half, and I felt like – I mean, Jared Guarantano. I hate to hate to just get too quarterback focused, but he had a he threw one 100 miles an hour and the goal line that went through Jawan Jenkins' yes. hands that ended up being an interception. He missed a wide open Dominic Wood Anderson for what could have been a long touchdown. He threw a just a zero interception to uh, on a miscommunication. Uh, on a, on a route to the sideline i mean he he if if that guy's just decent in the first half who knows what that game turns into um so i i thought that Tennessee through the first half was actually playing pretty decent football but they just they just quarterback i, I didn't feel like really gave him a chance
0: and as far as Florida i mean i feel like we discussed it last week i don't think whether it's frank's or Kyle Trask back there i, I really don't think it's makes that big of a difference I mean Trask had a good game but he also had two interceptions so it's not like he was out there you know playing magnificent football this was just a case of Florida being a better football team than Tennessee
2: I I came out of Saturday very instant reaction way too over the top but I am uh, I think that Florida is untrustworthy in a way where I could see Florida beating Auburn I could see Florida knocking off Georgia in a stunning fashion But I don't see Florida beating LSU, and I certainly don't see Florida getting any more than one win out of that run of LSU, Auburn, and Georgia. Like, of those three teams, I think they could get one of them, but I don't think they could get multiple. And so it's almost like they've taken on this, like, dangerous spoiler potential role within the SEC.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's a pretty solid assessment of who they are and where they are.
1: Yeah, yeah, they they don't they don't scare me as a team that's going to poke around in that top tier of the conference. But yeah, there's certainly a team that's got enough players to to you know on any given Saturday give any given team a problem.
2: Uh, Florida State held on held on against Louisville. Is
0: uh, Willie Taggart all right? Oh yeah this everything's fine
1: now yeah all right (laughs) hey it didn't feel that like that implosion was coming in the second half it did come for a little bit yeah louisville started scoring some points they were they were vibing and it just felt like oh wow here we go again i i I thought the to me the biggest story i don't know the 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 most interesting story that game that the crowd mm-hmm. in that place was totally embarrassing. That's a college. That's a. It might have been. I mean, Savannah State supposed to draw a bigger crowd than that. I mean, when <laughs> Savannah State plays Florida State, I don't want to be, go too overboard. When Savannah State plays Florida State, uh, you're supposed to have more people that in the stands than that. That was that was a bad look. I don't. That's, that, that that is a bad. That is a bad. Uh, Willie Taggart's vote of confidence there.
2: Right. Because that is a 79,000 seat stadium. And there were the announced attendance. Actually, I know this. The announced attendance was 46K. It's over half. 80,000 seat stadium announced attendance, 46K. So, yeah. Yeah. We could say we could estimate that there were, it was a less than half full Doak Campbell Stadium for a division game against an ACC opponent, and that is the Florida State fan base make, making making um, whatever decisions might be coming up from FSU's leadership. Like they don't they don't need to wonder how people are feeling because their uh, their lack of attendance is already like, like that's I, my heart breaks for the players and for everyone who's still out there, like for cam Akers and Marvin Wilson and all these guys that uh, are just, just in a lost generation of Florida state football right now, because uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you Barton. When I looking into those stands, even though the implosion was avoided they went up 21-7. They let the lead go again. You were ready to write the story that it was yet another blown lead by Florida State, and they were able to hold on thanks to uh, uh, Scary Terry and a few explosive plays and, and good stops down the stretch. But, yeah, not looking good in terms of the community support that uh, that Florida State football is getting. Let's see what else did I have on my list of questions. There was a whole bunch of crazy stats from LSU's offense, Alabama's offense, Ohio State's offense, and Iowa State put up 72. So that was a thing. Brock Purdy, three, 400 yards passing with six touchdowns, three passing, three rushing against uh, Louisiana Monroe. App State took
0: down UNC uh what else is another on? Great <laughs> another great day for the coastal another great day for the coastal squeaked by old dominion miami beats central michigan 17 to 12 tcu got beat by smu
2: yeah the iron skillet goes to uh the ponies there
0: smu's for smu is legit good in the aac they're a team that suddenly you're looking at them they're a team that could win the west out there
2: Barton, those are your yeah, horn yeah. frogs. They couldn't move the ball.
1: They couldn't move the ball. I didn't watch. I didn't watch hardly any of that game. That was the problem. Was their offense? Yeah, because they gave up a lot of points on defense. That's true. That's true. Um, yeah, that was. Uh, but I mean, you kind of could. I, I mean, I, I wasn't surprised that that game was close. Um, but yeah, TCU. Hey, man, if they're going to be those Big Twelve title second tier contenders, that doesn't don't look good losing SMU.
2: Um, anything on your on your notebook or on your radar, Barton?
1: Oh man, uh, I, th- I think I'm kind of. I mean, there's probably more games, but I think I'm kind of out. I'm I'm. It's been a long day, boys. Are
2: you this taked is, out?
1: <laughs> I'm, t- I'm 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 yeah. The takes and the talks been going all day long. Um. So I'm, I'm, I'm running low. I got to figure out how I'm going to get to LaGuardia by 7:40 AM or 6:40 AM for my flight too. I mean, that may be pulling an all nighter.
2: Would not be the first time that Barton Simmons has gotten off this podcast to pull to pull an all nighter and go to the airport.
0: Nope.
2: That's for uh, sure. Um, yeah. Tom, anything else on any from, uh, from your day?
0: Shout out to Michigan State for scoring 31 points in a conference game. You don't see the Spartans do a whole lot of that lately. Are we going to talk at all about Oregon-Stanford?
1: Oh, uh, yeah, for sure. Oregon-Stanford. How about Northwestern-Stanford week one? How, <laughs> how bad was that game? Just awful. I mean, it I was bad it was every week. in real time, but it, now in retrospect, it's even worse. Yeah. Stanford's getting housed by everybody. Northwestern's – what was that? They got to be what, by like 28? Michigan State?
0: Yeah, Northwest – I mean, Northwestern and Stanford combined for 16 points today, which is more than they combined for in their game. So they're moving in the right direction.
1: Can you imagine being Hunter Johnson? And I don't know. Hunter Johnson may not be any good. But all, I do know that Hunter Johnson, for the past few years, was throwing to – freak shows everywhere he turns in that Clemson rot locker room. And then he rolls over and gets a starting job and he's got to throw to the accountants at, uh, <laughs> at Northwestern. That's a tough, that is a tough splash of cold water. Yeah. Hun- Hunter,
0: Hunter definitely does not have the most impressive targets, but he's missing them by a bit. All the same.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I don't mean that as a defensive hunter, Johnson. I uh, he is he's been he's been rough.
2: My big note on Oregon was that all right, so you'd lost three straight to Stanford. We talked before about how that game last year was like one of the, you know, worst not not like worst losses in terms of who it was to, but just the way the game unfolded for Oregon. And so there was a little bit of a like Trying to you know get over Stanford, and in terms of Oregon's path to trying to return to Pac-12 title contention and, and making itself into a decent Pac-12 or college football playoff contender, like just sort of not letting that kind of thing happen again was big. You know, the defense fo- doesn't you know forces a Stanford offense that has no identity keeps them out of the end zone, but. Still, all in all, I kind of felt myself. I felt myself a little bit nonplussed, but I need to go back and watch more of the game. Did you? Do you have any strong uh, Stanford feelings, Tom? It's
0: no stronger than what I thought about them last week. They're just—they're not good. They're bad. And then I, I, my thing was with Oregon in this game. It's like they won, and that's all that matters. But i i i feel like the Stanford team that this that has just been so unimpressive that I was really hoping to see Oregon do a lot more. I mean, Stanford didn't do anything and it still just kind of felt like Oregon couldn't really put them away and couldn't finish the job until late when they, you know they they went up 21 to they got their third touchdown but it was just
2: Oh, it was Auburn fields. It was those like third quarter against Auburn like, "Well, you know what we're going to do now?" Yeah, we're they, just they, gonna have they, a lot they, of two-yard runs.
0: It's like they take quarters off. Yeah, and that's just it's. I mean, they might win the Pac-12, but man, they're it's gonna be hard for them to really do anything special playing the way they've played so far.
1: Mm. Hey, in in uh, in a family of bad year two coaches, is Chad Morris the worst? Lost to San Jose State.
0: It's not a good
1: at home
0: it's not a good look <laughs> it's yeah
1: it's yeah that's that's about State mess. last year he's like two and he's like two and three against a group of five teams or something ridiculous um also uh we didn't talk oklahoma state texas yet either um and not that there's a whole lot to take away from that game other than they didn't cover the over But that was, I thought, a good showing by Texas to just, you know, survive the scare, take Oklahoma's good shot, and then move on to the next one. It was a very back performance for the backs.
2: Hey, five straight losses to Oklahoma State and Austin, and you reverse that? That's a a check in a box on the backness.
1: Absolutely. back back box check.
2: Did you see there was a play Oklahoma State's coming down uh, second half and Texas' defense is a little bit banged up and they had a young guy – I'll pull his name up um, – incredible sort of diving pass deflection into the end zone. Let's
0: see. I didn't see that play. No, I didn't see that.
2: They're, uh. It. But this is a Texas team that on offense and defense – does appear to be uh, very, very banged up. And the fact that they are still able to be able to tap players to get in there and come up with some of the key plays that will end up winning them games is absolutely huge.
1: Yeah, it looked like Jalen Green went down with an injury as well. Um, So that's not great. Uh, Central Michigan messed around, almost beat Miami. That was cool uh, by them. Uh, Old Dominion messed around, almost beat Virginia. Cool job by then. Uh, Rice messed around, almost beat Baylor. Cool by them. So a lot of <laughs> lot of cool efforts by A bunch of teams that are underdogs by twenty plus.
0: Yeah, it's I will say too. It's it says a lot that this is now another reaction pod where we've barely mentioned Ohio State and Alabama simply because there really hasn't been a need to. It's like yep, they played somebody and they killed them.
2: I mean,
1: right? Yeah. Like <laughs> Yeah. Ella. But not not as bad as what, what what was the final score of uh Bama Southern Miss? How, uh, how bad they were? 49 to 7.
0: 49
1: to 7, so 42 point win. Okay. So the same number as Kent St- Kent State beat Bowling Green at bye. So. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> I see you saw my tweet.
1: Oh no! What was you? I, I didn't see your tweet. <laughs>
0: I just tweeted that I'm so proud of my betrothed, the UCLA Bruin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and Stephen, wish it. Steven responded with "Too bad Bowling Green couldn't get it done." Wow! There you go. Thanks,
1: yeah. Steven. Well, th- he literally, see, you know, you annulled that pick uh, and <laughs> sticking stick with your UCLA Bruins.
2: Yeah, this is a tour of question. Um would you rather be Jeremy Pruitt or Tom Fernelli ending his day with a UCLA pick?
1: Clearly, I'd rather be Tom right pit. now. Yeah, we're this this game is freaking bananas. <laughs> like this is this is like quietly as as this pod has been going down, like we should have just been color commentating this game that no everyone's going to wake up and listen to this pod having not watched this game. If we had just sort of told him all the nutty stuff that's been going on, that, that'd get us better numbers than than this back and forth we got going right now. So yeah, we'll, 56 we'll to with,
2: 53 currently with 8-10 yeah, left in and the
0: fourth? Anthony Gordon's got eight eight touchdown passes, which is a school record.
1: He's got eight touchdown passes, and then he have like three interceptions too? Two. Two? <laughs> this game is <laughs> nuts. Man.
0: Dorian Thompson-Robinson has 440 yards passing and four touchdowns. <laughs> unbelievable
1: you can can watch one of these uh, like I watched that Washington Cow game and it felt like the game was over in like four series you know like two a piece a halftime, two more piece ball game this game feels like it's been going on I mean it feels like it's got another two hours left in it 8-10 left in the fourth there's probably 30 more points to be scored it's crazy
2: it's that Twitter joke of Joe Buck introducing like the forty seventh inning
0: as <laughs> the
1: sun's yes.
2: rising. Yes.
1: <laughs> yes, the sun
0: is consuming us all. Yes, <laughs> that's what we're going to be having.
2: Um, if if it goes to uh, if if it hits the point where the game is still on as Barton's at LaGuardia, then just uh, just just call my Skype and leave a voicemail. We'll add it on. As an extra bonus addition,
1: I need to find it on the radio as I make my midnight, my, my 3 a.m. track to LaGuardia from Stanford. Just <laughs> plug it along I 95. Get this thing to OT. Let's go. <laughs> All right, you can follow him
2: on Twitter at Barton Simmons. You can follow him at Tom Fernelli. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you.
1: Sure.